Hello, this is Tim Rausenberger with BrassCenter.com. Today is Wednesday, November 1st, 2017. This is episode 133, Critical Tips for Beginning Band Students. I've had some previous episodes where I've discussed important items to consider when teaching beginning band students. Today, I'm going to address some critical ones, ones that need to be done all the time, ones that you may or may not have learned from method books, from teachers, from forums, from articles, or just word of mouth. And I'm hoping that these tips will help teachers and students alike, and even parents who want to just get a better understanding of important things to keep in mind. And I'm gonna quickly go through as many instruments as possible. Please understand, I have nothing against certain instruments, but there are instruments with, with that are just simply not appropriate to be covering for this particular episode because they, they're just rarely taught in schools as beginning instruments. An example would be the bassoon. So I'm going to go through as many as possible today. I'm going to start off with the flute. So admittedly, flute is one of my weakest instruments, but I've gotten a lot better teaching it over the years, especially with the help of others. But there are certain things that I've discovered that work very, very effectively for me in terms of teaching flute players. One of the most important things with flutes has to do with posture. And this is a very, very simple thing that cannot be overstated enough. The flute requires a tremendous amount of breath support. And for parents out there, and even students who are not aware, playing the flute requires every bit as much air support as an instrument as large as, the, as tuba. And the primary reason for that, the best way I can explain it is, when you're blowing into an, like any brass instrument as an example, there's resistance. It's like blowing into any type of thing. You're blowing into a tube or blowing into a pipe. There's going to be a level of resistance inside that object. When it comes to the flute, you're not blowing into the instrument. You're actually blowing over a hole, similar to what it would be like if you were blowing over uh, a, a soda bottle or a bottle of pop, or you blow over it and you get that woo-woo sound. Well, the flute is the same way, and the air doesn't really go inside. Some of it does, but a lot of it goes outside and you're blowing over the hole. For that reason, tremendous amount of breath support is needed. And for all of these reasons, you need to, more than 
any other instrument, it's imperative that you're sitting up nice and tall. And I say this specifically for the flute, and the, the main reason I, I can't emphasize this enough, enough is it doesn't matter how young, how uh, small the student is playing the instruments. Any student can hold up a flute. It's the lightest instrument to hold next to a piccolo, which we're not going to be starting beginners on piccolo. And for all those reasons, that it's inexcusable for any child to be saying, well, this is too heavy. Yet, we see students all the time in concerts, and what winds up happening is when you look at, at the child, their head is tilted. It happens all the time. And what I do, and I make students laugh with this, but I'll be in the middle of conducting, in the middle of rehearsal, and if I see flutes with their heads tilted, I'll tilt my head while I'm conducting. And they'll start laughing, and they'll, they'll get the message very quickly that they need to get their heads up straight. Quite bluntly, the, you, you need to be sure that the flute players have their instruments parallel to the ground, which is going to require them to keep that, that right arm is going to need to keep that flute up. Now, it's possible that they may need to adjust the angle ever so slightly in some ways because of their embouchure. That has to do with the, the, the embouchure, fancy French word for the formation of their lips and all the muscles uh, around uh, around the, 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 the lips and around the mouth. So posture is critical when it comes to flute players. Clarinets. And clarinets and saxophones are similar in, in, in this way, but I'll, I'm going to speak specifically about clarinets first. The hands are everything when it comes to clarinet players. Now, this can also be said for flutes, and it can be said for, for saxophones as well. The difference between those two instruments and the clarinet, though, is clarinet, you're covering holes. And, and I can't begin to tell you how many times I have beginners who get really, really lazy and their hand placement is simply awful. Here's the trade-off that I do with all clarinet players, always. I buy thumb rests for all of my clarinet players. Most students do, uh, do not have the thumb rest uh, along with the instrument or even a, a starter package that may come with the instrument as a promotion through the store. And unless you've advised your clarinet players to buy a, a thumb rest, you can find them, some, some quality ones as well, on the internet at a very, very low cost. And they are so much more comfortable than using the original thumb rest that's there, that's actually on the instrument. That actually can... At times, it can really hurt the thumb and be very painful. So here's what I do with clarinet players. The trade-off I make is this. I give them the thumb rest with the understanding that if I'm going to give this to them, they must have the tip, the, the tip of their thumb, and this is the top of the thumb. So I'm not talking about the end of the, the thumb. If you were to 
hold your hand out in front of you right now, it's the top of the thumb or the right hand side of the thumb, I guess. And right where the fingernail is, that's where the thumb needs to be holding up the instrument. Now, this is going to be very, very awkward for students, and it's going to become extremely difficult if they have gotten used to holding the clarinet up by the webbing of the thumb, the webbing between the thumb and the first finger. You need to make sure that they don't develop that habit at all because early on it won't make any difference they're used they're playing notes in uh, that are of a very limited range that only require keys on the top half of the instruments or what we call the upper joints when you are about three months into playing the instrument a even an average clarinet player is already starting to use their right hands. And if that hand is not placed properly, they're not gonna be able to cover the holes properly and they're gonna have all different types of issues. Squeaking, poor sounds coming out, no sound coming out at all, all types of problems. So it needs to be nipped in the bud immediately. A general thing for clarinets and alto saxes in general, you need to do read checks constantly. You have to inspect the reads. Never trust any student in their first year of playing to always have their read put on properly. Conservatively, 75% of my students do not put the read on properly. And when I say properly, I am extremely anal retentive about this because I'm insistent that the, the reed is as straight as possible. When the reed is put on, I always explain to students that if you're looking at the reed after it's been attached to the mouthpiece and you look at the top, you should see a slight sliver of black, that's the mouthpiece itself, right above the reed. And if you can't see that slight sliver of black, the reed is too high. The other way you can also check for this is to turn the instrument around or turn the mouthpiece around and look at it from the other direction. If you see the reed sticking out or the reed is protruding from the top, it's too high. You also want you need to make sure, of course, that the reed is not too low. I don't usually have that too often. I usually have reeds that are too high. But the placement of the ligature is often atrocious. I see ligatures that are lopsided. I see ligatures that have been damaged. I see ligatures that are too high and too low. This happens all the time. Reeds, mouthpieces on clarinets and alto saxes, or any saxophone I should say, must be inspected constantly. And you can also throw in one of my things I always remind clarinet and alto sax players, how long have you been playing on that reed for? Because after about two months or so, the reed is, is generally in awful condition. Uh, the, the biggest issue that happens is the wood itself, it's designed this way, it deteriorates. So a reed that might be a size two and a half, after two months or so, it's it's started to become a it's becoming a two because the the the, re, the wood itself 
is starting to dissipate. As for saxophone players, same principle with flutes and clarinets. You want to keep the fingers close at all times. And the same thing in terms of the right hand, making sure that it's more of the tip of the, the thumb rather than it getting down to the point where the, the, the webbing is touching uh, the, the part that supports the instrument with the right hand. One of the biggest issues with saxophones is the neck strap. Uh, the quality of the neck strap usually in most beginning model instruments is dreadful. And the strap will often, it, it really can be quite painful especially for younger students, leaving a very, very painful mark, you, you can never forget and underestimate how heavy a saxophone is. And when you're dealing with 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds, having that thing around their neck, it actually can, it really put, it, it can put a lot of strain on the neck. It can leave a very, very bad mark, which is again, very, very uh, painful. So, one thing I would recommend is a padded neck strap. You can buy, find them inexpe inexpensive ones on the internet. There are also some other companies that are highly reputable. They're a little more expensive and worth the money if you have it. But an easy fix for that is to simply take something like a sponge and even some, uh, some rubber bands or something that you could put on there uh, just to soften how it feels on the neck. But more importantly, when you're dealing with saxophone players, the mouthpiece should be directly in front of their mouth if they were simply to guide the instrument towards their mouth or towards their body. The, too often, saxophone players are moving their heads toward the mouthpiece. It's the exact opposite. The mouthpiece should be coming to the mouth. The mouth should never have to be going to the mouthpiece. Or even worse, saxophone players who are actually lifting the saxophone up so it can meet their mouth. Ridiculous. The whole purpose of the neck strap is to, is to support this heavy instrument, but also to be able to have it close to their mouths. I would also be upfront with those saxophone players and make sure they know to be very careful with this because it's also getting extremely close to their eyes and it's easy they could poke they could poke that mouthpiece right into their eye if they're not careful so they need to be uh, they need to really exercise a lot of caution when we're dealing with uh, the mouthpiece itself in that particular position French horns. I'm, I'm not terribly picky about French horn players in terms of their posture. I know I'm going to probably get some flack from people about that, but I'm simply not. I'm going to tell you why. French horn players are rare. You don't get many of them. And it's far more important that you are very patient with French horn players. That's my advice. Patience, 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 and more patience. I am completely not of the belief that some people are of students starting in on trumpet and then transitioning to the French horn. I do not think that that's necessary. I think that students can absolutely start, start on the French horn in, in fourth or fifth grade as a beginning instrument right out of the chute. It, 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 can it happen? Trumpet the French horn? Absolutely. 
two of my best students of all time and hands down one of my top three greatest students of all time started on the trumpet and transitioned to the French horn. But my other French horn players that I've, I've tutored over the years who have been all state and all eastern players, they all started on the French horn. And with all of them, very, very patient. If they can match pitch, that's an unbelievable blessing. If they're getting a, a solid tone, that's a blessing. If they're not wavering, that's a blessing. You need to take baby steps and you need to be very, very supportive of French horn players. Nobody enjoys playing their instrument all alone. And more often than not, French horn players, there'll only be about one or two, maybe three of them. When you put it up against a, fl a flute section of 15, there's no fun in trying to play an instrument that's very, very difficult to play as it is. I've had plenty of French horns in concerts who are missing notes left and right. It's fine. It's completely fine. As long as the counting is there, the fingerings are there, they're making progress, they're finding their pitches, you're being patient with them, it's fine. What's not fine is when they're not progressing. When you are seeing that they really are struggling with the instrument, then it's time to make a change. But otherwise though, I can't preach enough. When it comes to French horns, patience, and a lot of it. Trumpets. One of the most maddening things about trumpet players are the trumpet players with their right hand position. This drives me up the wall. <clears throat> Instruments are very expensive. Even a beginning instrument, it's expensive. They're all expensive. Even a beat up trumpet is gonna cost $100. So, it's an investment, and you need to treat the instrument with such tremendous care. I will never understand why trumpet players <clears throat> hold their instruments so poorly with their right hands, and what it translates into... Uh, it, it, it comes down to so many things that are so bad for the playing. Students who are putting their right pinky into the ring, there's nothing positive about this whatsoever. It will cause students to pull the instrument into their lips, adding undue pressure, which is terrible for their playing overall. It's gonna cause, make for a pinch sound, they're gonna hurt their lips, nothing is good about it. The right thumb never, ever, ever should be directly above the first valve slide. It should be nowhere near, if there's a U-ring in your first valve slide, that right thumb should be nowhere near it. And the thumb should never be holding the instrument in such a way where, once again, we're getting back to the webbed part between that right thumb and the, first, the, the, the index finger. That is not where that thumb should be Should be, and how you should be holding the instrument. It will do nothing but cause major problems for depressing the valves. What? Where should the, the right thumb be? At all times, it should be on, on the lead pipe, flush on the lead pipe, which is the tip of the thumb, flush on the lead pipe directly underneath the area between the first and the second valves. That's where that thumb needs to be.
And the way I like to tell students is, you now can take the thumb, a very, very powerful finger on the hand. You are, can now push off of the lead pipe and allow the three fingers to move much faster. The other way, the thumb ha is not up against anything. There's no resistance. There's nothing the thumb can push up against. And the three fingers have to work much harder. You have much less control over the fingers. But more importantly, when the thumb is in that in the correct area it allows students to be able to curve their fingers and hit the valves from the top in other words they're using the tips of their fingers curved and hitting the valves from the top directly up and down if the fingers are flat what actually happens is if you take a trumpet and you start pressing it down with flat fingers, if you actually look at the motion of your hand, you're going to notice it's not actually going straight up and down. You're going to see that it's on an angle. If your hand is on an angle, you're actually trying to press the valves down sideways. Valves don't want to do that. And what happens long term? You destroy the inside, the casing, the inside of the valve, the, the valve casing. You're destroying the valve itself over the course of time. Terrible, terrible things for the instrument long term. And when you're dealing with beginning mo beginner models, it's the instrument's going to get destroyed that much quicker. Much quicker than professional models. But you certainly don't want a professional model instrument to be destroyed because you are not holding the valves properly. Cannot stress this enough. And for heaven's sake, with all brass players, trumpets especially, please stress from the very beginning when they're putting their mouthpieces into the instrument, do not push the mouthpiece in, ever. The mouthpiece should never be pushed in. The mouthpiece should be dropped into the instrument, dropped in, and they just give it a little twist. The, the, the uh, mouthpiece will not fall out. It's not going anywhere. Once they start pushing, every single time you're asking for a stuck mouthpiece. I've been playing my trumpet now for 35 years. Not once has my mouthpiece ever gotten stuck. It's never gotten stuck because my teacher taught me right from the beginning to drop it in and to twist it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have beginners who don't listen and it's very, very few, but the few that decide they're going to push it in or you hear that awful popping sound, it's just begging for the, the, the mouthpiece to get stuck. If a mouthpiece ever gets stuck in an instrument, you have to have a very firm discussion with the student and explain, you need to understand, if you, you do this again, it's probably going to get stuck to the point that I cannot remove it. I actually can't get it out. You're going to have to take it to the store. Your parents are not going to be happy about having to take you to the store. That usually sends a very clear message and they won't do it again. Trombones. There are so many different ways I can go with trombones. Here's the most important thing with trombones. They don't have anything to press down. There are no buttons. There are no valves. There are no keys. They have their slide. That is what controls all of the notes. So here's what I do with trombone players all the time. They need to practice all seven positions. Yes, all seven positions, even the kids with the short arms. And what they need to do is they need to do it with their eyes closed. They need to practice muscle memory. What I'll do in class is I'll just say one. Then I'll say three. 
and instantly they need to move the slide to third position, but they need to feel. They don't get to look, and they should not be getting into that awful habit of extending their fingers and touching the bell when they go to play third position. It needs to be muscle memory. So it'll be one, three, six, two, four, and you need to see how quickly they're able to do it with their eyes closed. It's a great challenge. It's a great game. You can parlay it into whatever you want to if you're giving out prizes, whatever the case may be, but it's always a lot of fun for the trombone players. It's essential. They need to know, just like the other instruments, they can't be looking at their instrument while they're looking at music. Trombone players have to have the muscle memory to know where fifth position is. A very, very difficult position to find on the instrument. They have to know where that is. And that absolutely takes time. In a future uh, episode, possibly my next one, I'm going to get into percussion. Uh, in terms of euphonium, and just to, to wrap things up here, the euphonium and tuba they really have similar concepts, similar principles to what I was saying, uh, having to do with the trumpet in terms of how they want to press their valves and in terms of where the right uh, thumb is. It's a similar principle. The problem, it's tougher for me to explain because they're, the tubas and euphoniums come in so many different shapes and sizes. It's very difficult for me to say one size fits all, but everything certainly applies uh, to those instruments as well. And I think one final thing I can say for all brass instruments, please make sure that your students have their tuning slides uh, excuse me, uh, they're all their slides, and especially the tuning slides, uh, able to be moved freely. We don't want a situation where something needs to be done with the instrument, removal of, uh, of, of uh, condensation or anything of the like, and we cannot get a slide out. Now we have an expensive repair, or I should say a repair that may take some time at the store if the teacher's unable to remove it. And quite frankly, it's an unnecessary... Uh, amount of time spent on things. Uh, I'll get into a separate uh, podcast episode discussing percussion, uh, but this will be for all of the woodwind and brass instruments. As always, if you have questions, comments, things you'd like to contribute, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, this is an area where I, I feel tremendously comfortable and uh, I can offer a lot of advice on different uh, all different instruments, even though brass are my stronger instruments, uh, I've been teaching all the other ones over the course of my 20-year career. Uh, again, uh, appreciate as always your support for tuning in to the episode to all the podcast episodes, and I wish you all well for the school year.